Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Worcester's Talking News, brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with the permission of the Worcester News and recorded on Thursday the 6th of September 2018 here at Colin Chance House, Worcester. I'm Evelyn Brock and this evening I'm an editor and with me to read the news are Paddy Fellows, Hugh Thomas and Margaret Brown. Our sound engineer is John Plush. A warm welcome to any new listeners and I hope you enjoy our offering. In addition to news items, you'll hear some useful telephone numbers, readers' letters, obituaries, on this day, thought for the week and we usually open the birthday book or unfortunately tonight we have no birthdays to celebrate. But do let us know your birthday so we can wish you happy birthday when the time comes. The service is free to users but if you wish to make a voluntary donation it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR51DA. We do like hearing from you and a message can be left on our answer phone at Worcester 767 766 or add a note to your wallet. Now the headlines for this week the week beginning August the 31st are Friday, August the 31st, driver nearly killed family. Saturday, the 1st of September, warrior's burglar raided church. Monday, the 3rd of September, no thanks, protest against the EDL march. Tuesday, the 4th of September, hospice giraffe used in shop ram raid. Wednesday, the 5th of September, stay away from this domestic abuser. And Thursday, the 6th of September, last orders. So I'll now ask each of our readers to introduce themselves and then read their headline for the week. I'm Patty Fellows. And my headline is simply, no thanks. More than 500 people turned out to a protest in Worcester tell, tell EDL supporters they were not welcome in the city. County protesters far outnumbered the anti-Islamic protesters who came from as far away as Newcastle and Hull for a national EDL demonstration in the Corn Market. Around 150 EDL supporters gathered in Angel Place on Saturday lunchtime before making their way to the corn market. This would have been the previous weekend. Um, they were surrounded by a wall of police. Many had been escorted there from Warnden in minibuses by the officers. Unofficial counter-protesters lined the streets with placards and chanted in opposition to the marchers. With police initially preventing them from entering the corn market while the rally was in full swing. An official counter-protest 
gathered at 2pm in Hill Street car park and led by doll drummers walked down Tallow Hill through St Martin's Gate and into the City Walls Road in Silver Street where the two groups of protesters were only allowed within a hundred metres of each other. Unlike the July demonstration, where violent scuffles broke out in Broad Street, the protesters passed peacefully. Police said that they arrested two people for public safety reasons after allegedly breaching dispersal orders. Another arrest was made in relation to criminal damage in and around Angel Place. Dozens of police officers were in the city to manage the event, which EDL supporters said was in protest at plans for a new mosque to be built in Stanley Road. Police estimated that there were 250 counter-protesters at the start of the march, but Les Emery, from Worcester, age 68, a counter-protester protest steward from Unite the Union insisted that it was more like a thousand people. He said, We have had extra buses from Swansea, Cardiff, Bristol, Birmingham and Nuneaton. We've had people from Shrewsbury, Bilston, Wolverhampton and Coventry. We knew on Thursday there were about 600 or 700 signed up for this but the number has doubled. This shows the EDL don't speak for anyone but themselves. And bigotry. The EDL thought that they could divide us, but this has just brought us together. Anti-EDL protester Lucy Bolton of Worcester says the EDL have said that they're not being racist by protesting against a mosque. How is that not racist? Miss Bolton and other counter-protesters were eventually able to move into the corn market while the official opposition protest was segregated by the police. EDL speakers Tony Curtis and Martin Sculver encouraged the far-right group of supporters to ignore the counter-protests as it marched past Martin's Gate. Mr. Scalfer said, The lefties are abiding by the Muslims. We have been persecuted by the left. We have lost jobs through association. And so it goes on and on. We come here for a peaceful protest against the mega mosque. Islam is the enemy of civilization, and the lefties still call us racists. Daniel McGarrity, aged 26, of Worcester joined the EDL march. She said, Our children come first. We're going to have more and more Muslims coming from London and Birmingham and wherever they and wherever. They should not be here. Worcester's Mayor Jebba Riaz said people from all over the UK have come to unite to celebrate diversity. Hundreds have come in support of people standing up against a narrative of hate rhetoric that divides. We're here in opposition to show that we're about love and togetherness. Mohammed Iqbal, General Secretary of Worcester Muslim Welfare Association, added, It's really good to see a lot of support. 
The EDL are not welcome here. We don't want to see them here again. Chief Superintendent Mark Travis thanked the people of Worcester for their support and patience, along with officers and staff. He added, We engaged with the organisers of both groups, which helped ensure the event was safe for those taking part and the local community. And, and that's, that's the end. <laughs> Sorry, Margaret. I'm Margaret Brown, and the headline for Tuesday, September the 4th, is um, Hospice Giraffe Used in Shop Ram Raid. Um, a giraffe statue has been permanently removed from an arch trail after the sculpture was used as a battering ram to break into a city centre shop. The giraffe, known as Dotty, and designed by school children from from for the Worcester Stands Tall Trail, was positioned between Crowngate and High Street. It was taken off its plinth at around 3am yesterday, Monday, and used to smash the window of the Two Seasons store. Clothes were stolen from the shop and the damaged giraffe, giraffe was left lying on the floor. The scene was cordoned off while a forensics team investigated, causing the store to close for a period yesterday. A man in his 20s was later arrested on suspicion of burglary and was still in custody yesterday while the police investigation continued. The giraffe was designed and decorated by the children of St Anne's CE Primary School in Bewdley. On the project website it is described as using the school colours and values to create a mind Fullness giraffe. The Worcester Stands Tall tra uh, Trail statement said, We are sorry to report that unfortunately one of our sculptors, Dotty, has been badly damaged. This means the sculpture has been removed from the trail. Unfortunately, she will not be returning to the trail, but we are doing everything we can to make sure she is ready to go back on display at our farewell event in Worcester at Worcester Cathedral. The popular trail is due to finish on September the 16th, with the cathedral event taking place from October the 4th to the 7th. In total, 30 large giraffe sculptures and 27 smaller calves were placed around the city in July and will be auctioned to raise funds for the St Richard's Hospice Build 2020 appeal to expand its premises. The giraffe used for the burglary was one of the calves. Mike Lloyd, a city manager at Crowngate Shopping Centre said, we're currently helping the police with their inquiries. Nobody from Two Seasons was available to comment when contacted by the Worcester News. As the Worcester News went to press, it was reported a second sculpture had been damaged. Giraffe Park, which stood in Cripplegate Park, was broken from its plinth at some point between 3pm on Sunday and 9am on Monday. It has now been removed from the trail, and anyone with any information can call the police on 101. Hello, my name's Hugh Thomas, and uh, my headline appeared on Friday, August the 31st. Uh, it says, Driver nearly killed my family. 
A teenager told police she was lucky to be alive after a car crashed into the front room of her family home. Navid Hussain, the driver of the Audi A3 that crashed into the Battenhall Rise house in March, narrowly avoided jail after admitting to driving without due care and attention and fleeing the scene when he appeared in court yesterday. Robert Whitehouse, prosecuted at Worcester Magistrates Court, said it happened at 10.20pm on March the 23rd. As he approached a 90-degree bend on Battenhall Road, he effectively drove straight on, through the garden and into the house, injuring the family. He ran from the scene, not checking if anyone was there. It caused £30,000 worth of damage. Magistrates heard that Natasha Beatty, 15, and her mum, Melanie, went to hospital after the crash with the teenager treated for a broken collarbone, broken ribs and a fracture to her shoulder, while Mrs Beatty suffered broken ribs and a punctured left lung. (coughs) Mr Whitehouse read out a victim statement from the teenager which described the car coming through as like a bomb going off and the front room, where the family had been sitting on sofas, being completely destroyed and plunged into darkness. I was knocked unconscious, and I woke up metres away from where I had been sitting, she said. I was crying in shock. I could not feel the right side of my head. I couldn't stand up. Due to my injuries... I had to take days off school when I was studying for my GCSEs. The accident is constantly in my mind. If the car would have been a few inches further, I could have been killed. Mr Whitehouse told the court that Mrs Beatty had said in a statement that she no longer felt safe in her own home. In a police interview, Hussein said he crashed because he'd swerved to avoid a fox in the road. But when officers challenged this, as the car had gone in a straight line, he said he didn't have time to react. Mr Whitehouse highlighted that Hussein of Wilds Lane had a previous conviction for failing to stop and argued he had not shown any remorse over this crash. Paul Stanley, defending Hussein, said he made full admissions to what had taken place. He had not been drinking or taken drugs. It was a loss of concentration that he accepts. It has been ten years since his last offence. There is nothing since this regrettable incident. The probation report found that the 26-year-old had fled the crash as he panicked and felt shaken afterwards. I'm hesitating because if this incident had been 10 years ago, that would have made him 16 at the time. Uh, But he accepted it was considerably worse for the victims. Hussein, a father of three who works at Worcester Bosch, was recommended for a community order where his thinking skills could be improved. 
Magistrates who considered all sentencing options, including prison, gave Hussein an 18-month community order, which will include 19 sessions of the program 25 rehabilit sorry 25 sessions of the program. 25 rehabilitation activity requirement days. He was also given 10 points on his license, was told to complete 120 hours of unpaid work. Hussein was also fined £340 and ordered to pay court costs of £135 and a victim surcharge of £85. Now it's Evelyn again. And my headline is from Saturday, September the 1st. Warriors burglar raided church. And there's a picture showing a young man looking at the camera and two locations, a church parish centre and Six Ways Stadium. And the subheading is Prisoner Stole Silverware Worth £56,000. A prisoner has admitted stealing £56,000 worth of silverware from a church and burgling Worcester Warriors Six Ways Stadium. Within a single week, Paul Sheward broke into the stadium and stole televisions, as well as taking a silver jug and chalices, some dating back 200 years, in a raid on a church office. He admitted the offences and another theft where he threatened a shop worker with a needle when he appeared at Worcester Magistrates Court. Robert Whitehouse, prosecuting, said Sheward broke into the stadium in the early hours of June the 21st and stole two large flat-screen televisions and tills in total worth more than £3,000. Mr Whitehouse said... He entered the bar and set off alarms, which prompted him to flee. Blood found linked back to him. Mr Whitehouse said just five days later, Sheward raided Droitwich Parish Centre, the office for St Andrew's Church. He stole a silver jug and chalices, high-value, religiously significant silverware, worth £50,000 to £60,000, Mr Whitehouse said. The items were locked away in a cupboard, with Sheward breaking off a padlock to steal them, and the 31-year-old also stole the church's audio equipment. The Reverend Laura Handy has previously told the Worcester News that some of the silverware stolen has not been recovered. It was made more than 200 years ago and used in communion services. She added that the church community had been wounded by the thefts. During the hearing, when the church burglary was discussed, Sheward interjected to tell magistrates, I was shocked at the value of the items. I was out of my head. Mr Whitehouse added that in a third theft in which Sheward stole meat from Tesco Express in Warnden on June the 17th, a customer heard Sheward threaten a staff member with a needle after they tried to stop him escaping. Mark Lister, defending, said Sheward's crime were, crimes were unplanned. He acted alone and was not in a gang. He said... 
he expresses his remorse and shame in regards to the theft from the church. Magistrates heard Sheward, who appeared on video link from HMP Hewell, was already in prison due to a previous string of thefts and is not due for release until March 2020. Magistrates decided their powers of punishment were not sufficient and sent the case to Worcester Crown Court for sentencing, which will take place on September the 28th. In July, Sheward, formerly of Kidderminster, refused to take part in another court hearing as a court reporter was covering his case. Uh, my next headline is from Wednesday, September the 5th. Uh, stay away from this domestic abuser. Domestic violence victims who have suffered at the hands of a serial abuser have shared their harrowing experiences in a bid to protect other women in Worcestershire. Mother of two, Charlie Faulkner, has joined another woman to speak out about the risk posed by Jamie Weatherby, who has been released from prison. Weatherby who has numerous domestic violence convictions, strangled Miss Falconer several times last year, sending her into early labour. She said, If you come across this man, stay away. He will never change. He is very dangerous, very manipulative and good with his words. He will tell you everything you've read is lies or that it didn't happen that way. Please, for your own sake, stay away. Miss Faulkner, age 24, from Redditch, said Weatherby grabbed her by the neck and pinned her to the stairs on January the 9th last year. She added that on January the 29th, he strangled her until she nearly passed out before throwing her to the floor. Weatherby also pinned her to a bed, throttled her and tried to rip her hair out on July the 31st and August the 1st. She was pregnant at the time of the attacks. Miss Falconer said she was hospitalised for five days after the last assault, which sent her into early labour. On April 27th, Kidderminster Magistrates Court sentenced Weatherby to 26 weeks imprisonment for his treatment of Miss Faulkner. On the same day, he was handed a 17-week jail sentence for assaulting another ex-girlfriend on March the 27th and April the 14th. However, the victim of this attack, who does not want to be named, claimed his sentence was halved because of his guilty plea. The victim told Worcester News, The first time he was grabbing my face and calling me not very nice names. The second time he actually punched me around the face a few times. Then he went on the run from the police, and the police then had to use me as bait. That's when he got arrested. The woman said the episode was the worst experience of her life, and something she would not wish on her worst enemy. She added, I currently suffer with depression and anxiety, I've been to counselling, and I have other things to deal with. I would say to women... 
Don't touch him with a barge pole. Be very wary of him. He's very convincing. He has a way about him and manages to play himself as the victim. She claims her abuser told her he attacked another girlfriend about nine years ago. The victim agreed to meet her ex-partner on April the 15th as part of a police trap to catch him. Weatherby tried to flee police when he realised he'd been tricked and drove at speeds of up to 110 miles an hour. However, he was boxed in by police cars and jailed for 12 months for dangerous driving at Worcester Crown Court on June the 1st. Weatherby, formerly of Sheldon Close Witchbold near Droitwich, has now come out of prison. The victim of his latest attack believes he has been released from prison too early. She said, His sentence was shortened quite a lot for what he was originally done for. I'd like him to go back behind bars. He didn't do enough time to really learn anything, to think about his actions and his victims. Miss Faulkner was told by the probation service that he was released for H- from HMP Featherstone on August the 13th. A post on Weatherby's Facebook page uploaded on August the 13th stated, Finally out, boom, but being stabbed in the back. West Mercia Police, the Crown Prosecution Service, the Parole Board and the Ministry of Justice were not able to confirm whether Weatherby had been released from prison. Weatherby, who has also lived in Kidderminster, has another domestic violence from uh, conviction from 2015. He was jailed for a year for throttling a woman to the extent that she had to play dead to survive. Speaking at the sentencing hearing, Judge Michael Cullum told Weatherby, you are a danger to women with whom you are in a relationship. Weatherby was unavailable for comment when contacted by the Worcester News. Now the last of our headline articles from Thursday, September the 6th. Last orders, future of city pubs shrouded in uncertainty after closures. And the article is illustrated by pictures of four pubs either already closed or at least um, with their future in doubt. The futures of several city pubs are up in the air during a worrying period for the industry. The Maltster in Corn Market, the Vine in Ombersley Road and the Alma Tavern in Droitwich Road are all currently shut, sparking fears among punters that they may never reopen. Meanwhile, there is some uncertainty regarding the coach and horses in Upper Tithing, with landlord Dan Outy reportedly considering his future. The Alma has been boarded up since the end of May, having only been taken over by star pubs and bars weeks before, after landlord Tim Churchman walked away. 
the 52-year-old industry veteran had invested around £7,000 of his own money into the pub over his nine months in charge before signing a five-year lease at the Bridge Inn, Tiburton. Having taken over running the pub in October, there was serious concern about his future when new owners, Star Pubs and Bars, took over and put up an advert for the lease in January. Mr Churchman had taken over as part of a tenant-at-will agreement with previous owners Punch Taverns, which means there is no fixed term. But he said he was assured by Star he had first option on a longer-term lease. However, he said a refurbishment had been planned under the previous owners, but there was no clear communication about when that would take place once Star took over. It's hard to attract new business when people are walking past and they know nothing's changed for 15 years, said Mr Churchman. A star spokeswoman said yesterday the pub remains closed while subsidence works are completed, with the plan to reopen again under a new operator and with investment for its future. However, with the lease having been originally advertised over eight to eight months ago, the brewery is still on the lookout for a new landlord. Meanwhile, another star pub, the Maltster, dating back to 1659, is also temporarily closed, while a change of operator occurs and planned works are undertaken. We hope to get it reopened again, serving the local community in a matter of weeks, the spokeswoman added. The vine in Northwick underwent a dramatic £300,000 transformation overseen by landlord Tim Sandu before reopening in summer 2016. However, since then, um, has reportedly been closed for numerous spells of varying lengths before shutting again last month. After shutting mysteriously on August the 17th, Mr Sandhu promised the pub and grill would open again. I will not let my customers down, he said, adding, this is my commitment to the society that I love. He said he had put his life savings into the pub and hoped to be open for the bank holiday, though customers have confirmed the pub was shut and still appears to be shut as of yesterday. New research has found that 25 pubs have closed every week, with many being switched to alternative uses such as homes and offices. Experts have said rising business rates, a property tax levied on firms, are partly to blame for the pub closures. According to data from real estate advisor Altus Group, 1,292 pubs have disappeared from the high street, which also means they are not contributing to the government's business rates pot. Retailers and restaurant groups have also been affected by similar cost pressures and have been contending with wage increases alongside a fall in footfall and consumer spending. This has triggered a string of high-profile administrations within the sector. An eight-year-old Malvern schoolboy 
has set his heart on raising enough money to install a life-saving defibrillator near his home. Daniel Bradbury, who lives on the Fruitland Estate near Morgan, started his mammoth fundraising effort by asking for donations instead of presents for his birthday, which he currently recently celebrated. Over the summer holidays, he has also been busy selling cakes and ice creams to local residents and has already raised over £155. He would now like support from other residents on the estate to help him achieve his ambition of raising £1,500, which is needed to buy a defibrillator and cabinet. Daniel's mother, Carol Bradbury, said Daniel's first expressed an interest in raising money for a defibrillator after finding out how they can save lives if they're used as soon as possible after someone has collapsed. The nearest defibrillator to our house is at the Witch Institute, which would be too far away in an emergency, life-threatening situation. The whole family is really proud of Daniel, particularly in his decision to ask for donations for his fundraising efforts instead of birthday presents. Richard Vakis Lowe from Heart Start Malvern said we do need a defibrillator on Fruitlands, so I was really pleased when Daniel's parents approached me about his plans. Daniel's decision to ask for donations for his appeal rather than asking for birthday presents shows incredible maturity for someone of his age, he said. It would be fantastic if some local residents would visit Daniel's McConaughey page, oh, sorry, my donate page and make a donation to support his appeal. To make a donation, visit btplc.com forward slash my donate and search for Daniel Bradbury in the fundraisers section. If a person's heart stops following a cardiac arrest, someone must start CPR within three minutes, otherwise the patient will not survive. The patient will also need an electric shock from a defibrillator as soon as possible to maximise their chance of survival. Homestart Mall, no, Heartstart Malvern has arranged a public training course on Tuesday, September the 25th. So to book a place, visit heartstart.malvern.org or call 01684-342-999. This uh, article is under the headline Elgar Birthplace Joy. A record-breaking number of people have visited the home of one of Worcester's most iconic historical figures since it opened its doors to the public a year ago. The Furs, birthplace of Sir Edward Elgar at Lower Broadheath near Worcester, is celebrating its first year of opening. A record-breaking number of 28,000 visitors have visited the National Trust 
since the National Trust took over the operation of the museum in September 2017. It's difficult to believe it's already been a year since we first opened, said Stuart Webb, the FERS operations manager. Time has flown by at such a pace, so marking our first birthday gives us a chance to pause, look back and celebrate how far we've come in such a short space of time. I'm absolutely delighted by the support we've received from all those who share our passion and drive to build a fantastic legacy for Sir Edward Elgar at this special and unique place. Elgar's music is said to epitomise the Edwardian era and the composer has put Worcester on the classical music map. Since opening, the Furs has been overwhelmed by the response they've received from their visitors and their visitor numbers have already exceeded the target they set at the start of the year. Going forward, they hope to continue to build on this success, welcoming even more visitors over the next 12 months to share in their future. The Furs is open seven days a week. Opening hours are from 10am until 5pm, and the site includes exhibition rooms, a modern tea room, cottage gardens and the birthplace itself. There are also country walks in the surrounding landscape which are available to pick up for up for free from the reception with another set coming soon. There is free parking right outside the visitor centre with picnic spots. Dogs are welcome on leads across the whole site apart from inside the tea room and the cottage. For more information call 01905 33330 or visit nationaltrust.org.uk stroke the furs. Uh, this is uh, an article from Friday, August the 31st, the day before the <coughs> EDL march in Worcester speculates on the uh, financial impact. Businesses are expected to lose money as a result of the upcoming English Defence League that is the EDL demonstration in the city. Weatherspoons is closing its two pubs in Worcester for the duration of the far-right march on Saturday. The owner of a vegan restaurant next to the site of the planned EDL rally is also concerned that he will lose business, although he refuses to shut down for the day. Anthony Cheshire, head of be the change foods in Worcester's corn market said some of his employees intend to stay at home on Saturday. He added, we are not insisting that anyone comes in, but we don't want to feel like we're being bullied into not opening. Last time, it was an interesting one in that earnings were up. We had lots of counter-protesters there, and their way of thinking is more like ours. If the EDL protest makes it to the corn market this time, then I expect us to potentially take a hit for that short period. David Lane, the owner of Coffee 45 in the Tithing, also said he expected to have an empty shop on the day of the protest. Councillor Adrian Gregson, leader of the Worcester City Council Labour Group, said 
There's a worry that some people will stay away from the city on Saturday. I'm hoping that we will operate business as usual. Clearly, there's a concern that it will have an impact. But I think that if businesses do suffer as a result, it's yet another argument as to why we don't want this kind of event in the city. Councillor Gregson previously cited the economic argument as one of the reasons to ban the march. He thinks the event is being allowed to go ahead because police think their restrictions have limited the potential disorder. The far-right march from Angel Place to Corn Market will begin at 1.30pm, while the counter-protesters will start walking from Hill Street to Silver Street at 2pm. The EDL is protesting over plans to build a three million pound mosque in Stanley Road, Worcester. Now, my article is a follow-on from a recent headline article. The issue went national with Gordon Ramsay offering a response. Teen turns college down after row. The mum of a Worcester teenager with dwarfism, who accused a college of dropping him from the catering course, says she hopes something good can come out of the row. Louis Makepeace, 18, from the city, and who is 3 foot 10 inches due to his achondroplasia, had said college bosses branded him a health and safety risk in dropping him from the course, calling it a humiliating ordeal. But the college stressed the student's place at the college had in fact throughout been under discussion with a review process to ensure all the appropriate adjustments to the kitchen are in place in time. Heart of Worcestershire's college then issued a new statement this week to say Mr Makepeace had told them he no longer wanted to do the course. A college spokesman said, Heart of Worcestershire College would like to formally state that after speaking with Mr Makepeace, he has informed us that he no longer wishes to study at the college. We wish Louis the best of luck with his future career. There will be no further comment from the college in regards to this matter. Mum Pauline, 56, explained that the teenager had turned the college down, quotes, over the way he was treated. Louis feels he was left hanging with no contact from the college, she said. He doesn't want to go there. It doesn't represent the disabled people of this city. The teenager's mum said since the reporting of the row, it had been a whirlwind of publicity, even gaining international attention. She said he had appeared on This Morning last week and had been approached by documentary makers about filming his life story. Effectively, Louis is unemployed now, she said, but his first love is acting, so the course was something he could fall back on. He's getting approached, so we will see how it goes. We want something good to come out of all this, on the back of all the publicity. That's what we hope for now. She added that Gordon Ramsay's assistant had also contacted the family after he tweeted about the story. 
the celebrity chef had blasted the college for a disgusting attitude and said he would offer him an apprenticeship any day. Uh, a good news story says Subway Jobs Boost. A subway and a 24-hour petrol station will open off Nunnery Way next year, creating up to 30 jobs. A budgeon supermarket and the popular sandwich shop will accompany a shell filling station and a car wash after St. Modwin sold part of its 20-acre plot to developer Forel Estates Group. Mike Price, managing director of Forel Estates Group said, the site at Nunnery Park is an excellent one for our award-winning model service station development. I am confident that the facility incorporating the strong brands of Shell, Budgeons and Subway will be highly successful in that location. Jonathan Green, Director of Asset Management at St. Modwin, said, With close links to the M5, the site is in a prime location and will further expand the current offering at Nunnery Park as it continues to strengthen its position as one of Worcester's sought-after business parks. The facilities will be built on land originally earmarked for a car showroom by St. Modwin, just north of the KFC and Bluebell Farm Pub, which opened at the end of 2017. The site would include 21 car spaces, 8 cycle spaces, 2 disability spaces and 2 electrical vehicle charging points. The developer gave reassurance to councillors on the City Council's planning committee by agreeing to indemnify insurance in case of contamination. This would mean the authority would not be expected to foot the bill for the cleanup of the petrol station if the land does become contaminated and is sold in the future. Planning permission was granted by Worcester City Council in June, but not without controversy, with some Warnden Parish councillors concerned it would affect city centre trade. Speaking against the application at the time, Ray Morris, then chairman of Warnden Parish Council, said the proposal was in an out-of-town location and national planning policy says preference should be given to accessible sites that are well connected to the town centre. And this is where the article seems to end. Yeah. Okay. My article is headed New Mosque Designs. New designs for a three million pound mosque could, that could be built in the city have been released as part of an official planning application. The move has prompted a flurry of objections, with locals complaining about potential congestion and the design of the proposed building in Stanley Road. Worcester Muslim Welfare Association, WMWA, which is behind the plans, declined to comment, although it did provide more details in its application. It stated, 
WMWA currently have worshipping facilities at premises on Tallow Hill, Worcester. However, the current facilities are no longer adequate for WMWA to fulfill their visions of creating an inclusive, accessible and integrated religious centre which can be experienced by all. Due to the nature of the existing building, which has had numerous small additions and a shortage of car parking, the building does not lend itself to its current use. Mohammed Akmal of Stanley Road told the City Council he was worried about the impact the project could have on congestion and parking in his street. He said, There is always over-parking. With the mosque being built, this should only have access from Midland Road and not Stanley Road to alleviate any further traffic problems and congestion on this road. Mr Akmal added that there is already a school, a community centre and a children's centre in Stanley Road. Sarah Mundy of Hill Street objected to the application because of the parking situation, although she argued that everyone deserves a place to worship. Another objector thought the planned building was not in keeping with the rest of the city and compared it to the Hive Library. However, there are some residents who have supported the mosque in the consultation. Franz Vesselman of Vincent Road said, Having seen the plans, I think this would be an excellent use of the present semi-derelict site, the complex as designed an enhancement to the neighbourhood. WMWA wants to build a mosque, four apartments, a sports centre and parking on land next to Stanley Road Primary School. The overall development is expected to cost around £5 million. The English Defence League protested over the mosque plans on Saturday. The consultation ends on September the 14th. And the article is illustrated by several pictures which I take to be computer mock-ups. One of the overall look of the mosque and the fact that it is expected to cost three million. The mosque as part of a building complex, an illustration showing its two chimneys and eye-catching gold exterior, the parts of the plans including landscaping and play area for children, and also a mock-up of the sports centre and apartments in relation to the placing of the mosque. Mine is about a Macmillan nurse, and this is from today's paper. Each day this week, the Worcester News is looking at how Macmillan Cancer Support helps people in the county. A generous local, whoops, generous local leisure, legacy donation of £100,000 has helped to fund a Macmillan immunotherapy clinical nurse specialist and a Macmillan Prostate clinical nurse specialist at Worcester Acute Hospitals NHS Trust for 12 months. The legacy donation was left by a local Worcestershire resident. Macmillan Immunotherapy clinical nurse specialist Helen Grist aims to develop the immunotherapy 
therapy service at Worcester Royal Hospital. She said, My role is not only to develop the immunotherapy service at Worcester Royal, but also to see patients on treatment in a nurse-led clinic to monitor and manage symptoms from patients who call into the service with immunotherapy issues. I'm very grateful my role has been funded by this legacy donation. I can see how vital it is for people living with cancer to have nurse follow-up appointments for this evolving area of cancer treatment. Macmillan has enabled cancer services in the area to evolve with the treatments on offer so that patients can be well supported when using the new treatments. Veronica Rowlands is the new Macmillan Prostate Clinical Nurse Specialist who was also funded by the Legacy. Veronica's role is to assist oncology consultants and monitor and support patients while they're receiving treatment. She said, The aim of my role is to enable people living with cancer to maintain their quality of life and live well throughout their treatment. Working closely with the consultant, I'm able to provide the best possible individualised care and treatment for our patients. This generous legacy has provided me with the opportunity to set up and develop this role to best support our patients and their carers, and also to support and provide education to other members of the nursing team. If you're interested in fundraising for Macmillan Cancer Support, please contact Sarah Diston on 07791 369364. This article is taken from Monday, September the 3rd's uh, Evening News, headlined Anger Over Homes Plan. Plans to build 160 homes near Worcester have drawn more than 100 objection from objections from locals. The application, which includes 64 affordable homes on land off Sta- Station Road, Fernal Heath, would cause too much traffic and damage greenbelt land, and com- the, the complainants say. Developer Lovell Partnerships and Walsall Housing Group have made plans for more than 300 parking and garage spaces and locals are worried the increase of cars on Station Road and surrounding country lanes will be dangerous. Opposition to the plans includes loss of valued countryside, the destruction of wildlife and habitats and the detrimental effect more homes will have on services including doctors, pharmacies, dentists, schools and local transport links. Victoria Wyatt Wright of Ladywood Road in Martin Hussingtree said the site is not within the South Worcestershire Development Plan for allocated housing and with so many new houses already being built in Salwarp and Fernal Heath surely a further 160 houses is not desirable or needed. The impact of circa 300 additional cars would result in a dangerous level of traffic onto the country lane which will not be able to cope and 
which is popular with horse riders, dog walkers, runners and cyclists, and being so narrow with such an increased level of traffic will render it dangerous. Liz Tyler said, as a resident on Station Road, I can see how the access road can possibly can't can I can't see how the access road can possibly absorb yet more traffic and the proposal that the pro- proposal will bring. Joy Young of Balmoral Close in he said, the sighting of the development is ill-considered due to the additional volumes of traffic that will need to access the area. Station Road is already a rat run due to the volumes of new build in recent years and to increase the volume of vehicles by 200 to 300 will be detrimental to the residents' health and well-being. Access to the A38 is already compromised and will be dangerous for anyone in the Station Road vicinity on a daily basis. An application for 120 homes in nearby Dilmore Lane was approved by District Council planners in 2016. We've got a Sporting article here about athletics. Malvern's Danielle Hopkins bagged a triple jump silver medal at the 2018 School Games National Finals. The Chase School pupil 16 was part of the England Midlands team and competed in the girls' triple jump for only the second time this season. Having been included As a late replacement, Hopkins jumped a personal best of 11.28 metres to take silver at Loughborough University. The Worcester Athletic Club prospect said, I betted my old personal best with every jump, so it was probably the ideal competition. I'm a high jumper and a multi-eventer normally, but I do a bit of everything. Most of my training revolves around the multi-events, but I just slot in anything else where I can. I look up to people like Katrina Johnson-Thompson and Jess Ennis, as my best event is the high jump. The experience here is amazing. I was here last year as well, and I love it. I expect, Paddy, you could better 11.28 metres, couldn't you? On a good day. (laughs) I'm going to say with a following wind. (laughs) Now, my article is Confident Josh Chases Tries, and it's an article about Worcester Warriors. Worcester Warriors wing Josh Adams insists he is a lot more confident than he was 12 months ago as he bids to get back on the try-scoring trail. The Wales International surpassed his expectations to cross the whitewash 13 times in 21 Premiership appearances last term, an impressive haul only equalled by Newcastle Falcons star Veroniki Goneva. But Adams, 23, reckons he left tries out there and has fired a warning shot to Warriors rivals by stressing he is even sharper ahead of this season. It's been a funny old 12 months, said Adams, who made his international debut in February. 
I managed to get four caps for Wales, which was something I never would have expected to have got at the start of last season. But I also managed to finish the season as the joint top try scorer, which I would never have dreamed of doing. I am really grateful for the opportunities I had. I have learned a lot from them and am looking to try to go one better than last year. Adams has scored 30 tries in 48 games in all competitions since making his Premiership bow in 2016 and is determined to add to his tally this term. I think I left tries out there in some games last season, Adams said, but I might not get the opportunities like I did last year. I think I have added bits to my game which might give me more of a chance of scoring. I feel a lot more confident in myself this year, and I certainly feel a bit sharper, so hopefully I can get over the line a few more times. If I could do that, it would be a terrific result. Adams was part of a potent backline as Warriors chalked up 54 tries in the 2017-18 campaign. Neil Doak has now replaced Sam Vesti as the club's attack and backs coach. Adams said Doak has made slight alterations to Worcester's style of play, but was full of praise for the Irishman's work. Obviously, some set plays might be a little different, but the template is sort of the same, Adams said. Doak certainly knows his stuff and is very switched on. He's very intense in training. If you ask someone who's watched a session when it comes to him and the attack or backs, he is very loud. You know what he wants from you straight away and he doesn't accept sloppy standards. He expects us to be 100% on the money from the word go. He's honest and has been a real benefit to us as a back line and as an attack. Vesti, who was instrumental in bringing Adams to Worcester in 2015, ended his five-year spell at Warriors to join Northampton Saints coaching staff this summer. Sam did a fantastic job here, Adams said. Some of the rugby we played last year was great and some of the tries we scored were amazing. We all know how tough Northampton are going to be to stop because of how good they, we were in attack at times. They have got some world-class players as well. That's going to be a tough game, but I think you're going to see some really nice flashes of play and tries from us. We're all looking forward to it, and hopefully we can show Doak's good work in the first couple of games. Now, I have a piece about a golf ace. Droitwich's Hayden Sarfo secured victory at the American Golf Junior Championships National Final. He took the Ping Star of the Future under the eights title with a nine-hole round of five under par. The King's Horford School pupil won by one shot from Craig Law's Frazier Waters at Gainsborough. Sarfo, who's a member of Hasdrill's Godet Loose Club, had finished second in the competition last year.
The eight-year-old had also triumphed at the Stowe School under 11's championship and finished third in the wee wonders at St Andrews. Salfo said, I feel happy I played better than last year. My putting was the best part of my game. I'm going to come back and play the 18-hole competition next year and just do my best. The championship will be shown on Sky Sports in October. Another droit which golfer Constance Brooks was second in the girls' gross category. She shot a round of six over par, just missing out by three shots to Northampton's Leah Ribano. The 14-year-old, who also plays at Godeluce and attends Worcester Split at Edward Oldcorn College, said, I thoroughly enjoyed playing in the final. The course was a good test, an amazing condition. I played well, but with a few tip-outs, I feel there's more to come. Sorry, it's lip-outs. I can't wait to work on my game over the winter, ready for next season. The experience mirrored what I can imagine it would be like to be a professional. Even after travelling all around the country in my other golf competitions, I haven't come across another event which does this. I also owe my success to my parents' continual support, who I can thank enough. It's an event which I will be sure to aim to qualify in the future. Both Safo and Brooks had qualified from the Midlands event at their home club. Brooks, who was caddy for her sister at the 2016 championships, scored one under par off a five handicap in the gross competition. Safo won the future star under eight contest for the second consecutive year with a total of 33 over nine holes and there's a smiling picture of Safo holding his um, American Golf Junior Championships trophy after winning the Ping Star of the Future under eights and on the right picture there's a picture of Constance Brooks who finished runner-up in the girls' independent school, so they're both very proud. Uh, this article is about test star Moen Ali. Uh, England's Moen Ali says he re reaped the benefits of his spell back with Worcestershire after a man-of-the-match return to test cricket. The all-rounder followed up his crucial 40 in the first innings by taking... 5 for 63 on day 2 of the 4th Test with India at Southampton's Aegeus Bowl. Despite departing for 9 in the second innings, batting at number 3, Moen then produced another effective bowling display with 4 for 71 to help England win by 60 runs after bowling India out for 184. He ended with match figures of 9 for 134 as England took a winning 3-1 lead in the series. It was Moen's first test for five months after a challenging winter in the Ashes series and against New Zealand. He said, I actually loved being back at Worcestershire and having a good stint there and just getting the form back with the bat and the ball. I've, al 
I've really enjoyed going back to county cricket and having a bit of a break. And it's always nice to get a call up when you're in decent nick with the bat and the ball. It's doing what county cricket should be doing, having that confidence to come back into test side and perform. It's more believing that you are not a bad player after one bad winter. Many players have gone through that, and for me it was just moving on, and hopefully it makes you a better player and a stronger character. I moved on pretty early from that, and it's about going out there and performing for my country, knowing that I can do well in England. I went to Worcestershire and cleared my mind to try to get better, and that's exactly what I feel I've been doing. Worcestershire head coach Kevin Sharp felt his side, quotes, did little wrong after their four-wicket setback against Lancashire in the county championship division, one thriller at Southport. Sorry, championship division one thriller at Southport. An unbeaten ton from skipper Dane Villas enabled Lancashire to recover from 63 for four, to chase down a 314 target and send Worcestershire back down to the bottom of the table inside three days. Sharp said, I don't think we've done much wrong. The pitch got a bit better to bat on, without any shadow of a doubt, and it's been more placid than on the first two days. It was a bit tacky on the first day and gripped and nipped a bit and there was a touch of dampness in it. But as it dried out... It has played differently than we anticipated, as we thought it might spin towards the end, but it has held together very well. Yes, you could argue we probably did not execute with the ball quite as well as we did the previous week at Scarborough, but that's the game. You won't always do it like that. You can always argue that we could have done things better in all departments, batting, bowling or fielding. But I've just said to the boys that their efforts have been outstanding and I thought we might win this. Sharp added, I have to say that innings by Vilas were class, a match-winning innings. I don't really feel we can fault our lads too much. When you've been in the game a while, you never take anything for granted. Worcestershire have a game in hand on Lancashire though and are only nine points behind ahead of Hampshire visiting Blackfinch New Road from tomorrow at 10.30am Some family announcements now (coughs) Uh, deaths to announce Uh, the first one is Jack Allender and it says in brackets the Madhouse Tattoo uh, who died at the tragically young age of 29 years of age. Our funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, September the 10th at 3.15pm. Patricia Margaret Florence Bradley, formerly of Canterbury Road, Ronxwood, passed away at home on August the 22nd, aged 87 years. Beloved mother of Corrine, and Chris and grandmother to Matt and Ollie. She will be sadly missed by all family and friends. Funeral service has already taken place. Uh, 
Ida Ellen Cale of Ryle, Upton on Seven, passed away peacefully at her home on August the 15th, aged 94 years. Uh, immediate family only cremation will be followed by a service to celebrate Ida's life at Earl's Croom Church on Monday, September the 24th at 2.30 p.m. Leslie Thomas Lane died peacefully on August the 12th, aged 85 years. Following a private cremation, a Thanksgiving service for his life has already taken place. Josephine Lily Layton, known as Joe, of Lower Broadheath, passed away peacefully at home on August the 18th, age 87. Funeral service has already taken place. And finally, uh, Annie, known as Nan Wright, Nee Nichols, ex-Worcester Royal Porcelain Guide, passed away at home on August the 16th, aged 98, and her funeral has already taken place. Sylvia Griffin passed away at home on Thursday, August the 23rd, 2018, aged 80 years. The cremation will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, September the 10th, 2018, at 1pm followed by a service of thanksgiving at St Mary's Church, Kemsey, at 2.30pm. Kenneth Charles Griffiths of Hallow, Worcester, passed away peacefully on Tuesday, August the 14th, 2018, aged 88. The funeral service has taken place. Jack Bilbo died suddenly on the 23rd of August 2018, aged only 19 years. The funeral service will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, September the 12th at 10.45am. And then there's a notice about a celebration of Roy Chirik's life, uh, which will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, September the 10th at 1.45pm. Uh, Eileen Smith of Warnden, Worcester, passed away on August the 28th, 2018, aged 80, after a short illness. Alan Dennis Soley passed away peacefully on August the 23rd, 2018, aged 84 years. And Peter Whale of Worcester passed away peacefully on August the 26th, 2018, aged 83 years. His funeral service will be at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, September the 11th at 2.30pm. Sadly, we have no birthdays to congratulate this week. Let's hope for more in the future. But I do remind you, as I said earlier, if you want us to celebrate your birthday on air, as it were, please let us know the important date in your life. Now, on to On This Day. 
This is an article from Worcester News with events and anniversaries from this date, 6th of September, from years gone by. A bit of historical interest. So, on September the 6th, 1666, the Great Fire of London was finally extinguished. It was started on September the 2nd. 1879, the first British telephone exchange opened in Lombard Street, London. 1880, England beat Australia by five wickets at the Oval in the first test match played in England, and W.G. Grace scored England's first test century. On the 6th of September 1941, Yellow Star of David badges became compulsory for all Jews living in Nazi Germany. In 1966, Hendrik Verwoerd, South African Prime Minister since 1958, was assassinated in Parliament in Cape Town by Dimitri Tsafendas. In 1990, cricketer Selene Hutton. The first professional to captain England died aged 74. His son Richard was born on that very same date in 1942. 2007, tributes flooded in from around the world after opera superstar Luciano Pavarotti lost his battle with pancreatic cancer at the age of 71. And in 2012, a four year old British girl was found alive underneath the bodies of her family hours after a gunman opened fire on their car in the French Alps. And much nearer today, on this day last year, a secondary school banned girls from wearing skirts. To make the uniform gender neutral and to deal with complaints over the decency of short skirts. Or the indecency. <laughs> <laughs> and thought for the week from Hugh. Okay,、uh, this comes from Matthew 7,、uh, verses 13 to 14. Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Now, some useful telephone <coughs> numbers. First of all, for out of hours medical help, 6 to 8 pm. 0300 The NHS number for non emergencies is 111. Malvern Theatre, 01684 Worcester Live, which is the Swan Theatre, Huntingdon Hall, And very recently, this Henry Sandon Hall, Worcester 
the Worcester hub for council matters, Worcester 765765 or 72233. The number for Crime Stoppers, 0800-555-1. And Samaritans, 116123. And that's a free phone number. Lighting up time today is 7.44. Okay, on to letters now. And this one is from S. Murphy of Worcester. Uh, who comments on what he or she says is a biased report on EDL March. Sir, even though I was not shocked by the way your paper reported on the EDL demo, it still disappoints me just how your paper has such a left-wing agenda. You run down Brexit and the people who vote for it and run down any group of people who don't share your liberal viewpoint. You state that the EDL had only 150. Well, I was on the demo and EDL had around 200 plus. You state those on the EDL demo were not from Worcester, yet many people were from Worcester. You state that the people of Worcester didn't welcome the EDL, yet many local Worcester people lined the streets and cheered the EDL as it marched down to the corn market. You also state the counter-demo was made up of mainly Worcester people, yet trade unions has bust people in from all over the UK. You also failed to report that counter-protesters tried to pick up horse muck and throw it at EDL. Well, my first chosen letter is from a Dr Malcolm Nixon of Worcester, and it's about the travel centre at Fourgate Street Station, about which we've heard some disquieting news that it might be under threat of closure. Sir, it would appear that our national and regional rail network is unable to learn from the past and build upon what has and does work well, a case in point being yet another threat to the Worcester Fourgate Street Station Travel Centre. The article was Travel Centre Must Stay on September the 1st. Until its demise in 2006, I had the privilege of serving on the Rail Passengers Committee for the Western Region and witnessed two contradictory events. The ascendancy of our travel centre as a priceless community asset, even after the loss of the bus passenger service, and the gradual erosion of such centres throughout the region and country. There were threats to our centre, but these were negated, and as the centre rose in popularity and service provision, its key member of staff, Simone, even won a Rail Industry Award for her priceless encouragement of the rail network. So what should be an exemplar for the whole country became more and more isolated, until now it is almost unique and yet again is under threat. 
Of course, the station should consider improving access and security, as well as its welcoming image to the citizens of Worcester and surrounds. But this can and must be achieved without any threat to the travel centre. It is not a major design challenge to actually regenerate this station and enhance its welcome for passengers and support their needs for assistance and information. Unless, of course, this is actually another cynical example of the rail industry desperately trying to reduce rail use, <coughs> something which recent events up and down the country might demonstrate to be true. I have a couple of short, sharp ones, pieces about fireworks. The first one is from Martin Rummery of Worcester. Sir, fireworks, I hate them. And it's not just me. Old people hate explosions. Mums and dads trying to comfort their babies from the noise. And let's not forget about the devastation it causes to the birds and other wildlife. All I would ask is to keep them for bonfire night and New Year. This is a small uh, letter from Nick Weeks in Worcester on the observation of rules on non-alcohol. Uh, there is a well-known link between excessive alcohol consumption and mindless hooliganism and violence. Given the presence of EDL supporters and other groups in Worcester in a couple of days' time, can we be assured that the police will enforce local rules on non-alcohol areas on a zero-tolerance basis? Okay, this is a letter from uh, Maurice Francis, who has his... Uh, tongue firmly in his cheek. Sir, I would like to question what D.E. Francis says in her letter of August the 30th about Woodbine Willie. Presumably, if her and her husband spent time in the Old England pub during the period when he talked about going to the front line in 1914-1918 and were at the age when legally able to go in, this would mean she is around 120, making her the oldest woman in the UK. If maybe she was, say, a child of around 10, this would make her maybe 110. Still a good age to be writing to you. My next letter is from Mrs Thomas and it concerns the resignation of the Chief Executive of the uh, Worcester NHS Trust after only a very short time in office. Sir... Mr Pinfield said, this is now four chief executives we have had in four years. We really need some consistency. We can't keep swapping chief executives. Given that as well as being in special measures, we are in debt, did the Trust Board give any thought to the cost of importing Mrs McKay? The NHS pay handsomely in relocation costs, etc., when appointing staff from outside the county, let alone the country. I believe Mrs McKay was Australian in origin and she is returning there to a new job. Yes, we need to look for a dynamic leader, but when we find one, should we not be considering some form of contract to avoid four in four years scenario? 
a contract lengthy enough to allow for some continuity and consistency and one which has a financial penalty should it be terminated early. Now, my other uh, piece is about low noise being best all round, and that's the view of, of Sue Reed of Pershaw. So, on behalf of myself and Chester, a very big thank you to the organisers of this year's Plum Festival and also the Angel Pershaw for making the decision to use low-noise fireworks this time. I've been told that future fireworks displays will follow suit. After many years campaigning for this to happen, I'm delighted that my own town of Pershaw is to be at the forefront of this change. Mm -hmm. Well, now we've reached the end of this recorded edition. Thank you to Paddy, Hugh, Margaret and John, our sound engineer. We hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll come back for more next week. Best wishes from me, Evelyn, Paddy, Hugh, Margaret and John. Goodbye. Bye. 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 Bye.